0: Lord and to back to the Born in glory and in grace, America. It's Sue Hewitt. The world is upside down. We've gone back to the 60s. Bernie Sanders is going to be the next president. And I have called upon my friend, Dr. Larry Arnn, to dedicate the Hillsdale Dialogue this week, to move it forward uh, and, and bring us some insight into what happened yesterday because the United States voted in the New Hampshire primary by an overwhelming margin to anoint as nominees of the Republican Party, a billionaire casino owner, developer, and of the Democratic Party, a Woodstock generation, Brooklyn-born, Jewish-American of socialist credentials avowedly. Dr. Arne, we are at an interesting place.
1: Uh, if you
0: like contrast, you're happy as a pig in the mud today. we have got uh, uh, and by the way I'm going to be replaying this show on Friday in the regular Hillsdale dialogue and so if you're listening to it on Friday and you heard it on Wednesday you say to yourself oh good I get to hear that again but if you're listening to it on on Friday I did it immediately after because I I drafted Dr. Arn to help provide context to to what happened the Hillsdale dialogue of course hillsdale.edu everything Hillsdale is available there all of our previous dialogues are available Hugh for Hillsdale But we have a debate on Saturday. So whether you're listening on Wednesday or on Friday, we have a debate on Saturday between at least five and maybe six Republicans as the field winnowed with the dropping out on Wednesday of Chris Christie and Carly Fiorina. So, Dr. R, and I want to cover both races and what they say with you in in, in the first couple of segments and then talk a little bit about where the country ought to be thinking about later in the program. What do you think the Republican debate on Saturday night is going to be like?
1: Well, first of all, they've they've put on their big boy pants now, and they're creaming each other. You know, they're really yeah. uh, oh wow! I mean, they're really working each other over. So there's a fight, and uh, it's uh, it's you know, uh, Chris. So the news concern mostly in the Republican primary: Trump, Rubio, and Kasich. You might say that Jeb Bush was helped a bit; the others stayed the same, but. But uh, Trump did very well. He doubled the vote of anybody else and a bit more. Kasich came second, and Rubio fell. And he fell because of a debate performance. He
0: fell hard. He hard.
1: Fell hard, yeah, very. And, you know, there's – there's. so first of all, we're in the middle of a great national crisis, right? What kind of government are we going to have? Are we going to be a government of limited – a limited government? Are we going to keep the principles of the country and the Constitution – and that's at stake, and this is only the third time, I think, in American history where you could say that. So the situation is very serious, and there's a big fight going on. And it would be wrong to expect coherence. It's not like that.
0: How interesting. Yeah. So you're not upset by the conflict and the incoherence.
1: No, I, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the political career of Abraham Lincoln. And, you know, how did he get to be president? He first of all, he was nobody. He was, and and he looked bad, and he had bad suits, and he was up against uh, Mister Prestige, Stephen Douglas, and so he started out by going to Douglas's own appearances and putting up signs, and then wait until Douglas had finished and get up on the same stage and give a speech, (laughs) challenging Douglas to to debate him, and there had never been anything like the Lincoln Douglas debates. And there never have been since then anything like them anywhere.
0: But we might, we might get to them this cycle.
1: Yeah, because what's go- the one thing that's going on, every crazy thing is going on, and, and it, probably much of it is bad, but this is good. People are watching these candidates directly, and their performances, which you can now watch on YouTube or wherever you want, uh, you, their performances, the candidate is the campaign. And Rubio, who's been great, fell into a trap set by Chris Christie, who was obviously very angry with him, and and he, it cost him his momentum, whether he can get it back or not.
0: In case anyone ripped Van Winkle yesterday, the final results are, uh, on, on Tuesday, Trump, 100,400 votes, John Kasich, 44,000 votes, Ted Cruz, 33,000 votes, Jeb Bush, 31,000 votes. Marco Rubio, 30,000 votes. Chris Christie, 21,000 votes. Carly Fiorina, 11,000 votes. Ben Carson, 6,509 votes. Now, a few things about that. Uh, some very angry Rubio supporters emailed me that Chris Christie was a suicide bomber or had committed a murder suicide. There is great anger against him, but he was the subject of many, many hard hitting ads paid for by Rubio Super PAC. And this is politics, and the Lincoln Douglas debates had many hard hitting attacks in them as well. That's good for America that our, our violence is rhetorical.
1: That's right. And uh, that's right. And, and uh, it's, uh, people want their candidates to be genuine, and so that was a very clever attack. You know, I personally think Rubio is genuine but uh but he didn't react very well to that he was being taunted for saying the same thing and he kept saying it again and and he might have varied the discourse there right and you never know he he was rolling he was uh there's a really good new york times story about the state of the campaign and i don't know if it's true or not but it tells a good story and you know they were really doing well and money was coming in and endorsements were coming in and they were getting ready for this debate and they thought you know we're going to do great in New Hampshire and maybe second, maybe first, and uh, and and then there. What 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 do campaign consultants often often tell
0: you? Except be cautious. Right. So, well, they, that's what they always tell you. The NFL prevent defense. That's right.
1: And and tr- and see, Trump. By the way, you know he begins most of his speeches by reciting all the terrible things that have been said about him. So you know, and then. Turn them into jokes and turn them into advantages. And he's not scripted, and that seems genuine to people. And so if you start seeming scripting, and, and you know, politics are very scripted at this level in America. And so that attack revealed a weakness. And he can, he's, he's rhetorically very adept. He can, if he gets a chance, if the race breaks in a way that he gets a chance, he can probably fix that. But it really needs fixing.
0: Now, John Kasich, the governor of the great state of Ohio, and a friend of mine, and Ted Cruz, uh, the senator of Texas, and a friend of mine and yours, uh, both did very well, very, very well. John Kasich is now in the position of being the happy warrior, and there'll probably be two fights on Saturday night's debate stage, one between Trump and Cruz and one between Rubio and Jeb Bush. And John Kasich, though he will be hit by the ads, is simply going to continue to say, look, let's all come together together. And he's been, he's been around for a long time. He is not a liberal. He is a conservative, uh, Larry Oren. Does he, does he play well in Michigan, which will be a, your, your hometown on March 8th? Uh, your home state is going to be a very important factor in this race for the presidency.
1: I think so, and, and uh, I think he might. He's, uh, you know, the, the race has a dynamic of its own now. It's a real, live argument. It's not, who's got the money, and now we're going to roll out, and there's this inevitability to it. There are several very talented people in this race, including John Kasich. And Kasich has been, uh, he, you know, you, you, have to give him, you have to give him something for this. He has been steady and persistent right along. And it's, it's just possible that people could conclude he's the adult in the room. They, it's just possible that he could conclude that they can conclude that about Jeb Bush, too. And those are the two guys who are left who, you know, are, are more alike with each other, which means, of course, that sooner or later they have to fall to fighting if they both survive and, and, long enough.
0: <laughs> and somehow Jeb Bush persuaded people that winning 11 percent in New Hampshire with the name Bush was a victory. Yeah. And he did. He did that. That's a good political art there, uh, a good exercise of art.
1: During, during the uh, – after the debate where Christie attacked Rubio, one of the things that popped in my mind – and I, I'm at a Hillsdale College board meeting and conference right now where there's a lot of people who think about this stuff and even know the people in it, and a lot of people tell me that's what they thought. I thought Christie's going to get out the day after New Hampshire, and a day or two after that he's going he's to endorse Jeb Bush. And so it wasn't a suicide run, it was a, it, was a, it was a desperate attack on behalf of someone else. And I don't know if that's true or not, but if Christie's support went to Bush, his support in New Hampshire went to Bush, that would have been made Bush very strong. Whether Christie has any support in South Carolina, which is the big thing next, and in the Nevada caucuses, we don't really know. But, you know, things could shift around a lot. And I thought there was a chance that Bush might be eliminated in New Hampshire, and he's not been.
0: He's not, no. And so I, I like on. the fact, I like it. We'll come back. We'll talk more about the Republicans in the next segment. The second half of the Hilltale Dialogue for Friday's program will be about the Democrats. But don't go anywhere. Ted Cruz and the Supreme Court take center stage next, as they did in the 1860 election. Don't go anywhere. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Twenty one minutes after the hour, America's Hugh Hewitt. If you have not previously heard the Hillsdale Dialogues, because you're listening on Wednesday, the first hour of my show is supposed to Friday, the last radio hour of the week. All of the Hillsdale Dialogues, more than a hundred of them, are available at hughforhillsdale.com. You ought to sign up for Imprimis, the news digest, the, news, the speech digest of Hillsdale College, absolutely for free at hillsdale.edu. And all of the online courses of the Lantern of the North are available there. Dr. Larry Arn is the president of that fine institution. He joins me every Friday, but I pressed him into special service on Wednesday, and we we're replaying it and extending the conversation on Friday uh, to uh, to fill the need to have some, some serious conversation about what happened yesterday. One thing that happened yesterday was that Ted Cruz, who had not been talked about, I complained barely to Don Lemon the night before, that I could not understand why the winner of Iowa was being ignored by the national news media, uh, almost... To, to a degree that was weird that the winner of Iowa was ignored. And he came in third, and he, he's very potent, and he's very well organized, and he has a data collection delivery system without parallel. And then yesterday the Supreme Court dealt itself back into the conversation by issuing an injunction, a stay, against uh, the Barack Obama EPA from trying to impose climate uh, change rules on us all. And Attorney General Mark Brnovich of of uh, Arizona joined me on Wednesday to talk about that. He's a party to the suit. Does Ted Cruz, as this field thins, meaning more time per participant on the stage, necessarily find himself getting an advantage because it's playing to his skill set?
1: Well, that's right. It uh, This is um, – uh, T- Ted Cruz is smart. He's very unscripted. And remember, I have said in this conversation that I don't think Rubio is scripted or not accessible. Or certainly, he's certainly a nationally, naturally gifted speaker. And I believe he's saying what he thinks. Ted Cruz is very obviously that, too. And he's also really knowledgeable. And so it's possible that, uh, that he, you know, things are going to, it's actually possible that, first of all, it's possible that Trump is going to roll. And the only one you can say there's signs of that is Trump. But yeah, Trump, and
0: by the way, Larry and I are the Switzerland of the Republican Party. We have endorsed nobody, and we will not endorse anybody. So go ahead.
1: Yeah, it's been so good for me to know Hugh because he issues commands like that in my name to the nation. <laughs> and now I can refuse all com- comers. It's very handy. But uh, <laughs> but it's uh, – <laughs> see, I'm, I've been converted into a journalist without the salary.
0: <laughs> a fine move. I like that. I like very that. Very good.
1: But uh, But – yeah, I. Trump's challenge is, can he get above 40 or 45 percent? Because, of course, he's got to broaden his appeal very greatly to, you know, to become elected president of the United States or to sweep to the nomination without a, broken, without a divided, brokered convention.
0: And we had one of those with four candidates in 1860, when mm-hmm. the one with the fewest delegates, when it opened, became the nominee. That's right. Yeah, one on the second-and-a-half ballot, he did. And, and, I, and I point out to people, we, we either Jeb or Rubio will drop out after Florida, if not both of them. So the most we're going to have going to this open convention is four: Trump, either Jeb or Rubio, Cruz, and John Kasich. Right. And that sets up a fascinating—it's almost—I it, it, can't compare them. Nothing compares accurately— but a lot of people are going to be studying that 1860 convention very closely, Larry. Art.
1: That's right, and and uh, and see, uh, Lincoln inspired you know my reading of him. But of course, I'm biased. I love Abraham Lincoln and know a lot about him. Is that biased? Not really. But uh, Lincoln inspired love and confidence by his eloquence, and I, I just want to make the point that there's a, a greater measure of that. In this campaign, from more than one source, than I have seen in any campaign since Ronald Reagan was the nominee. And there was in that race there was nobody approximately like Reagan, able to, you know, move people and win deep loyalty from them. And uh, in '76, Reagan did that too, and almost took out the incumbent president in the primary, Gerald Ford. So, so this factor is in its essence hard to estimate, because it depends upon a pow- on the powers of certain individuals who are obviously very talented, and those ta- powers are unfolding in the context of a fight with each other right now.
0: The wellspring of deep loyalty is interesting, Dr. Arn, because uh, thousands, maybe if not thousands, 8,000 Buckeyes showed up in New Hampshire. Uh, Marco Rubio's people are passionate about him. The Trump... People are extraordinarily passionate. The Ted Cruz people are extraordinarily passionate and team Bush Barbara Bush came with a walker to New Hampshire and was greeted with you know great hallelujahs and great to see she's a she's an icon, and so they are all this isn't driven by money, although money's sloshing around money might be radioactive actually in this yeah. race
1: yeah if you're you know if you're using Mom
0: early. <laughs> Release the Kraken is what I considered on CNN. It means
1: means you mean it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and uh, it 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 is it is just so much, you know, because there's all this planning, right? You know, and consultants and these guys make a lot of money, and they're not around Trump, and they are around Cruz. But you know, I happen to know him pretty well, and I've even watched him one time with them around him. And nobody sits and tells Cruz all day what he's going to say. And I don't know know about Rubio. But in the end, it doesn't really matter about that, because they walk out there, and they say things that are unexpected to one another, and probably sometimes to themselves, and they have to make an argument. And that's real politics. And it's relatively, it's not like Lincoln Douglas, but it is relatively unfiltered. The people are getting a chance to watch and make up their own minds, and they are doing that.
0: I've spent hours on the radio with Kasich, Rubio, and Cruz. Hours. And I've spent enough time with with Jeb Bush and with uh, Donald Trump to have a feel for them, though it isn't the hours and hours I've spent with the other three. They're all gifted, knowledgeable, experienced men. They know their way around an argument. So this is, I think, Reince Priebus is, should be getting applause. He's getting bricks from some people who don't like this order. But I think he ought to be getting applause, and I, I have to always acknowledge my son works for the RNC. But but I would say the same thing because I love debates, and I think it's working good.
1: Well, I, I talked to Mr. Priebus one time in my life, and I liked him, and I liked his attitude about it and uh, about what he was trying to achieve, which was a, 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 a series of debates that give everybody a, a fair shot, and then achieve some coherence. But And so i, I that's what I hope will happen in the next month. But, uh, you know, just because coherent arguments, you know, where they come down to some points and some alternatives, and then the people get to choose, that's what the political system is, how it works. But I also think this, and this is just me talking, not him, I think that in regard to the Democratic Party, the Republican Party is much weaker. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but one of them is they don't have these superdelegates, right, who are elected Correct. and former public officials who make up a big block of people who've won elections and who can, and they get, get to be part of the co- delegates to the convention without being elected. So they're much they have brokers, right? And the Republican Party doesn't have any.
0: Uh, all we have are arguments. Dr. Larry Aaron, the Hillsdale Dialogue, all of them available at Hugh for Hillsdale.com. Stay tuned. We are stuck. Stop. We are better. And we, are we are I I got together. To Thirty-four minutes after the hour America, it's Hugh Hewitt. This is the Hillsdale Dialogue, the last radio hour of the week. Dr. Larry Arn is my guest, Hillsdale.edu. I, I've done an interesting radio thing here. I pressed Dr. Arn into service on Wednesday for half an hour and the full-blown Hillsdale Dialogue on Friday because I want to talk about the Democrats in the second half of the Hillsdale Dialogue. And Dr. Arn, I I just played Crosby, Stills, and Nash Woodstock because the Bernie Sanders moment is extraordinary. We're focused on the Republicans because you and I are conservatives and we lean that way. But Hillary Clinton, um, I saw one exit poll which said if, um, if your number one uh, issue is the honesty, integrity, and trustworthiness of the candidate, who did you vote for? And Bernie Sanders won that 94 to 6. Uh, and at the same time, he is running on a dishonest economic platform because it has been proven again and again and again not to work. So how do you square those things?
1: Well, there's a CNN-commissioned. I, I think seeing them com, com, commissioned it, uh, but it was reported in CEN, CNN. an economic study by a professor of the University of Massachusetts, that showed that the DN, GNP GDP will go up twenty five percent and the median income will go up twenty five percent within two or three years after Bernie Sanders is elected. <laughs> and the and the professor, as you read down the article, you know, and he got toward the middle of it, the professor did allow that he was himself an avowed socialist. And then the article admitted a little later than that that there were some economists who didn't agree with that <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so so you know, if we could make ourselves rich by pooling all of our resources and giving them to the government, then to dole out equally uh well, Churchill had a word for that kind of plan: too easy to be good and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so. I don't think it'll work, but it, you know, one thing to notice in New Hampshire is that he just whipped her every way possible. Yeah. I think she was ahead of him in the sixty-five plus demographic
0: which of is women. Serious. Only women, sixty-five plus women.
1: Oh, only the women, yeah. and and. Goodness gracious! You know, I mean, it just you know, that means middle-aged people, and that means rich people, and poor people, and highly educated people, and not highly educated people. It just every which way did he beat her, and he beat her by a lot. And of course, he got a lot more than fifty percent in the race. I think
0: they're teetering on the brink of collapse, and I and I believe it goes down to the to a number of things. One of which is. You cannot stay in the public eye. This has nothing to do with the Clinton ethical problems, but you cannot stay in the public eye for twenty-five years and remain viable in American modern culture. You agree? There's something to that.
1: Yeah. Well, nobody does that. The American political system, you know, it 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 does produce always. It has produced experienced presidencies, right? People, experienced people, getting president, being elected president. But then you do it, in all cases except Franklin Roosevelt, for a maximum of eight years, and about half of them only four years, and then you're finished, right? And so right. It, the, the careers are not like the careers of Winston Churchill, where he was in high elected and many cabinet positions for 55 years. That doesn't, that's not how it works over here.
0: And, and he did it, and, it by, by arguing, though. He did it by being... A participant in the public debate, not by being a holder of office. I mean, he did both of those, but in the periods when he was not holding public office, he stayed in the lists. Uh, Hillary Clinton never argues anything. This is her problem. She assumes that she is entitled to everything. Now, Churchill
1: is a different kind of thing than that, in part because he was one of the most widely read people in Britain throughout his career. And it was all stuff that he wrote. Some of the uh, some newspaper articles, with some help, but but uh, almost all of it was the the product of his brain and insightful way of expressing himself.
0: You know, I don't think we have any modern American political figure, except Ronald Reagan, who wrote his own commentaries for the GE commentary, who has ever attempted to mount a sustained argument with the American people over the airwaves over a long period of time. Am I wrong, Larry?
1: Yeah. Well. That's right. So Reagan, you know, I, I've been having memories of Reagan a lot lately, because this race reminds me of it in some ways. And I remember Reagan's first press conference the day after the election. And he walked up there, and one of my favorite things to say is that when you hire somebody, you find out more in the first week they're on the job than you could find out by talking to them for three months beforehand. <laughs> it's just, you know, now you see them in the job, right? Right. And Reagan walked out to give that press conference, and at 10 minutes in, I remember saying out loud, This guy is going to really be good at this.
0: Yeah, he was. I remember it well. And George Wills' first interview, where he wore a brown suit, and he commented on the fact the man who has the confidence to wear a brown suit is going to be a great president. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Larry Arn returns. We have two more segments of the Hillsdale Dialogue. Stay with us. Forty-four minutes after the hour, America. It's a special edition of the Hillsdale Dialogue after New Hampshire before South Carolina on the eve of a big debate tomorrow. Uh, I'm talking with Dr. Larry Arn. and interestingly enough, we have spent a lot of time this year talking about the Lincoln-Douglas debates. And we revert now back to the Republican field and, and how we debate a debate of five over two and a half hours ought to play out. And so, Dr. Arn, like you, uh, like me, I'm Switzerland, and I, I, I will participate In the February 25th debate and the March 10th debate, as an asker of questions. So, I may very well have uh, these five individuals or six individuals if Dr. Carson indeed makes it onto the stage. I'm unclear on the rule set. Um, How would you, what would you think the best role of the moderator is at this point and of the panelists? It has been to provoke uh, thus far, and it's not necessary, and to keep the time relatively fair. That's over now. What ought they to do? The Lincoln-Douglas debates had no panelists or moderators.
1: No, I, Well, I, so I, I actually have of late designed what I regard as the ideal debate. It just isn't possible under the rules for us to host it. But we have invited some of the candidates to campus, and probably some of them will come. But what I would do is I would set up, and I would love to see it be three or four, and I would set up three hours And I would give every one of them 15 minutes at the beginning and the end to say whatever they pleased. And then the questions would be, if you came to Hillsdale College, the questions would be focused on the question of the recovery of constitutional and limited government. And that would mean questions about the entitlement state and the regulatory state and the huge, big things that are different in American politics that I personally regard as dangerous. And I would ask them a series of questions about that, but the purpose would be to let them reveal themselves about that, including in argument with one another. And so I would give them a lot of latitude, and and I would try to keep roughly equal time, but I would also, you know, it's like these conversations, right? We've been having them for years now, 25 years, counting all the time we've known each other, but four years on these things or something like that,
0: and they go where they
1: go, right? And that's because you make a point, and I make a point, and there you go. So
0: it, Well, I tell people it's because you are wise, and I'm curious, and that's a good combination. And, <laughs> well. and, and uh, Now tell me about the, the specifics about Hillsdale, because if I were a Republican consultant, and I'm not now, nor I have ever been, and I do not advise any of the campaigns I keep saying that because people who hear what they want to hear accuse me of being for one candidate or another, and I, neither Dr. R nor I are. I would, however, go to Hillsdale College. Uh, because of the reach of the institution it would be covered immensely do they know that it would be important for me for a republican nominee to know that fact about conservatism
1: yeah they well they you know they're responsive and you know the the other thing is these people are you know they're in the middle of a war and you know it's getting now just to the point for the first time when they might be able to think about the week before the michigan primary but still that seems distant you know what are we going to do tomorrow so i don't know if it works <laughs> out or not. I, I hope so and and it, it can't work out so that they get to do that thing that i think and see what's what is my purpose right i'm a partisan for the constitution of the united states i'm a i'm a partisan of the freedom and justice for the american people i'm a partisan of their equal rights i want candidates to talk about that because that's what's at the issue and yep. I, I even fancy that there is more talk about that kind of thing among these candidates than is typical in a, in a primary.
0: Do you know that yesterday, I, uh, excuse me, on Tuesday I had on Mike Lee, fine senator from Utah, and Jeb Henscheling, a fine congressman, and they have begun something called the Article One Project to restore the um, powers to the Congress that are have been taken by the presidency. And it was pointed out to me on election night that if Ted Cruz were the president, and I'm not endorsing it, that he would actually be in conflict with the Congress from the get-go. Uh, because they don't like him much uh, uh, in, inside the Beltway. Uh, I don't think that's true about Republicans generally. I don't like the idea that the Republican establishment doesn't like Ted Cruz. I think the D.C. Republican establishment doesn't much like Ted Cruz. But he gets along fine with every Republican I know outside of the Beltway, Larry Arnn. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah. And, you know, Ted Cruz gets along fine with Mike Lee,
0: to name somebody. Yeah.
1: And, yeah. Uh, uh, but he—first he, yeah, of all, I don't—you don't, know, the test that any of these guys will face— and see, I'll say something. You know, uh, Donald Trump published an article in the Reno, Nevada newspaper 10 days ago or something like that that is actually brilliant about why we don't have laws. We're not a land of laws anymore and what it would take to recover it. And what it is, You know, friends of mine and I have been publishing this for 30 years now, is that the Congress has got to start doing its job again. And that means things are not laws unless the Congress passes them. And, you can, and that itself would, co, would, would, would place a, a limit on the size of the government, because Congress only has so, many, so much time to pass laws. So they've delegated that to hundreds of agencies that pass thousands of laws every year, and that needs to stop, and it could stop. And Trump called for that, and Cruz has called for that, and I bet you Rubio and Kasich and the others have called for that. But that's what you need. And so the test for Cruz, and I would guess that he would pass this test, is that he would have to start helping doing his part, which means a surrender from the executive, to let the Congress pass the laws. And so any of them, in my opinion, cannot be ultimately successful unless they do that. Yeah. And and so would he do that? I, I know he stands for that. And I think he probably would. But I, you know, I hope so. I hope all, any of them who wins would do.
0: Now, let me ask you a very particular question. Um, Donald Trump, who is attacked often on a lot of different reasons, has produced an extraordinary set of children, one of whom, Ivanka, was my guest on Tuesday. And she's so accomplished and so remarkable. We have a minute to the break. What do you make of that? And how does that figure into the assessment of a, of a candidate?
1: That's the plus, right? The people I know, you know, who, who are for Trump, They point to things like that and say that the people who've worked for Trump also have a high opinion of him. But his kids are good, you know. And he did give that really great answer. I'm not pumping for Trump, but uh, he gave that great answer, you know, what about, you Gonna have a blind trust, right? And his answer was, I'm proud of my company. I love my company. I've astonished the world by revealing what it is, but it matters nothing compared
0: to this. The kids can run it. He, he gave that answer to me. It was great. <laughs> I'll be right back with Dr. Larry Aron to conclude this week's Hillsdale Dialogue. Hillsdale.edu. All of the dialogues are at Hillsdale. Uh, Hugh for hillsdale.com. Stay with us. Fifty-five minutes after the hour, America wrapping up and looking forward to Saturday's debate. I'll be back in California on on Monday. I'll be on State of the Union with Jake Tapper on. Sunday to debate the debate and what happens. But, Dr. Arn, I am curious, since you are with the Hillsdale Board and they're all great Americans and great citizens, is there worry or is there enjoyment or both at this process that is unfolding?
1: Uh, both, yeah. It, uh, I, You know, I, I, here's what I think. I think that we're not going to get out of this mess. It's not going to be tidy and it's not going to be easy and it's going to take a long time and there's going to be a lot of groping and a lot of friction along the way. And so it just looks to me like the groping and the friction is more serious at this time, and and we don't know yet. See, we don't like like the, this field just looks a lot better to me than they have in recent years. But we don't, we won't know until somebody tries to do the job. I mean, we didn't know that Abraham Lincoln would be what he was as president, but then, you know, like here's the thing, unpredictable. Who would know? That Lincoln would bring to a stop on a dime a hundred years of independent cabinet power. Right? He walked in there, and by the second day, everybody was working for him, yeah. as it had been right in the origins of the cabinet of the executive branch. And you know, he put very powerful people, some of whom almost beat him for president, in the cabinet. And and then the next thing, like one time, there was this great thing, where they were consp- some of his cabinet members were conspiring with Congress, and Congress was going to pass a bill that basically said he couldn't fire the cabinet officers without their approval, so that would make them independent, right? And right. so he called, he, he he got a meeting together with the congressional leaders, and then he and he and he called the cabinet to a cabinet meeting at the same time and didn't tell each other, and he's got them all in the room. And he says to the cabinet, these men here from the Congress are saying that there's a lot of strife between us and we can't get along. Is that true? <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> of course, they all said no, of course not. Oh, no, right? no, no. no. So, so
0: nobody would know that Abraham Lincoln could do that. He just was able. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Larry Aron, um, I'm glad you're an optimist. People need some optimism. Uh, they're a little bit... It's very stressful because the world is a dangerous place. It's very stressful to go through this thing yeah uh, without he, without certainty
1: yeah, and the a sober point to make, a solemn point to make is we stand at a moment of deep division and danger to our republican every one our republic, every one of us needs to be the best citizen he can for for years. You need to learn, you need to talk. You need to think. You need to be
0: involved. No better way to end a Hilldale Dialogue than that. Dr. Larry Arnn, thank you. Thank you, America. Thank you, Dwayne and Adam. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Danielle. And all of you who listen to The Hugh Hewitt Show, I'll watch you. I'll see you on State of the Union on Sunday morning and back here in California on Monday.